0: It's really important that you realise the strengths that you do have. It's really easy to concentrate on the things that you think you're not good at. So instead of dwelling on that, I try and find ways around it and think, well, actually, yeah, all right, that's that's all very well, but I can do this. And I think if you find yourself struggling, or whether you're on your own or not, I think it's really important to focus on the things you can do, not the things you can't do. Even if you feel that there's only one thing you can do.
1: Hello and welcome to the Feel at Home in France podcast. This podcast is about and for expert women who share their experience and insights on navigating French culture, customs and lifestyle. Every week I share a new episode on this podcast and my ambition is to evoke the most authentic conversations about life in France. So I will share solo episodes with you with thoughts about living our best expert life and we will also hear interviews with guests about the drawbacks they had to face and which awesome journey they created for themselves. Overall, with this podcast, I aim to provide a sense of community and connection for those who have made the move to France. If you want to be part of the adventure, you can connect with me on social media where I share more thoughts and some of my French life. You can find the links in the description. How about you? You know that France is the place to be for you, but there are some moments when it doesn't feel all right yet. If you want to take a first step towards your own way of French living, check my workbook Embracing Your French Life. I guide you with three questions to get more clarity on your daily life and the next actions you may take. And now it's time to introduce our guest. I'm so pleased to introduce you to Emma Altridge today. She came to France in 1996 during the summer just in time to start school the first Monday of September. (laughs) What's this all about and how it was to buy a house in the 90s when you're an English-speaking person? She will let us know. Today, she's the founder and owner of Hotels Afloat, and she's running the business for 21 years now. Please welcome Emma. I'm so happy to meet you today, thank you for taking the time.
0: Hello Anna, it's nice to spend the time with you.
1: It's be really great, we have this meeting today because we met a little while ago mm-hmm. in a group of English businesswomen in France and my first question to you is, what do you like the most about the place you live now and where do you live now in France?
0: Okay, I live in a tiny village called Coussy Le Chatel, There are 109 people that live here, there are more cows and sheep than people, and it's probably why I like it. It's really peaceful, it's very, very quiet, there's no traffic. It's in the middle of the countryside, so I have fabulous views. I was brought up in Norfolk in England, so I'm a country girl at heart, and although I have lived in the city, I really don't like it. I love going to Paris for a weekend. I love going to the south of France for a couple of days, but in general, I just want to be in the countryside where it's really relaxing for me.
1: Well, and it's practical because you're in the middle of Paris and the south, not, not in the middle. The
0: but middle yes, West. yes, I can go either way and be somewhere yeah. different within a few hours. But what I really prefer is just to go out into my back garden at lunchtime and sit overlooking the Burgundy countryside, to be quite honest. that's my perfect lunchtime date with my fields behind my house. That one of the things that you didn't
1: have in England.
0: Exactly. Um, In England, although I was brought up in the countryside, I went off to university at 18. I went to London. So I lived there for a few years. And then after that, I moved up north. And although I lived in Yorkshire, I didn't live in the countryside. I lived in the town. So it was really nice to be able to come over to France and get really into the countryside, get back there where my roots are.
1: Yeah. And what's your story? How did you arrive in France and why?
0: Okay, it's a little bit complicated. Um, I was a young married mother with two small children. And one day my husband came home from work and announced that he had been offered a job in France. I wasn't very pleased because I was just finishing off a teaching degree and I had been offered a place in a school where I worked. So I was all geared up to get this new job and I had to sort of let everything drop and come to France. So that's how I came to be in France. And unfortunately, the marriage didn't survive, but we're both still here. Our children are here, so you know we're all here basically. But it was never in my plans to move to France at all. um But it seemed too good an opportunity to miss, to be quite honest. You know, so that's it. We upsticked, upsticks, and over we came.
1: Yeah, I understand. Uh, we have a very similar story. <laughs> okay.
0: Yes, I, I did the dutiful wife thing of following my husband something that he wanted to do so I think you know if we have stayed in England maybe things would have been completely different but maybe they wouldn't I just don't know but yes no we
1: don't know at all I always no. like to say that I didn't go to France because it was something that I wanted but mm-hmm. I followed the family it was the decision for the family to go to France but in yes. the same situation okay. so my husband yeah. at that time he was offered work in France so we went here but he is French he mm-hmm. just had lived very long time already in Germany okay
0: Oh. So it was a little bit different. You it's, you were sort of, you were coming to a known entity, whereas we were coming to something that was completely foreign to us in every sense of the word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it was that known because he left as, um, you know, after uh, he just had worked a couple of years in France. Okay. And he came back with a family, with a wife and children and mm-hmm. uh, with one child. And then our second child was born in France. Right. I don't think it was that easy for him. You no, know, because the whole insurance situation, all this, mm-hmm. he had to find out how the system works for him right. too. Lots yes. of things, all, all how it works with the calf, how it mm-hmm. works getting Nunu and all that. He, he, had to, okay. he had to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I suppose was he was doing family thing. things that he hadn't had to do before.
1: Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. we didn't have the language barrier so this no. because I hardly spoke any language back then. <laughs> <laughs> <I didn't laughs> hardly spoke any French back then.
0: Right. But, so, how, yeah, how long did it be- take you to learn?
1: I would say one year until I was quite fluent.
0: Yeah. And how was it for you? Probably about the same. I did French at school, so I I had an O-level in French. So before we came over, we did a a short refresher course at the local university. But I think I learned most of my French at the school gates, to be honest, (laughs) when I used to take my children to the school. Whether I could communicate or not, I used to yatter away with the mums and picked up quite a lot of French there. And then because I wasn't needing to go out to work at the time, I used to watch French TV during the day when my children were at school. So I would watch a film in the afternoon and I would put English subtitles on if I could, or I would pick a film that I knew, but watch it in French so that, you know, it wasn't too laborious (laughs) watching it because I knew what was going on, but in the hope that I would just assimilate the language. And I guess you do, you know, it, it must go in, I think.
1: Okay that's a, a version i haven't heard yet i heard that from um, yeah i hadn't heard it from french that french people that really works for the french yeah
0: it, it seems to i think your brain there is a theory that your brain picks up everything you hear and it, it doesn't forget it and although you might not understand it at the time at some point your brain will think oh yes that's what that is So if you learn the the word for voiture, for car, voiture, even though you don't know initially what it is, at some point, somebody is going to say, get into the car. And then you'll think, oh, yes, okay, voiture, it must mean car because you're doing the action with the word. So I would just watch things that washed over me, basically, in the hope that the language went in. And, you know, I remember really quite early on, I think we'd been here about a month, I started dreaming in French. And it was actually quite frightening because I couldn't understand what was going on in the dreams because there was all this, you know, French going on and people talking to me in French and I couldn't make out what any of it meant. But it was interesting that my brain was obviously trying to make sense of what I heard during the day.
1: But it's crazy that it's that early. I mean, I dreamt French, but it, I don't think it was uh, that early that I Yeah, did. it was
0: pretty quick. I remember it being in the summer and we moved over here. Um, well, in the summer, it was still warm. And we moved over here on the 23rd of August. So it must have been, you know, before the end of the year. It's probably September or October time that this started to happening. So it really was quite strange.
1: Yeah, that's really strange. And I guess you must be an auditive person. It yes. That picks up very good um, by hearing something because for me it's really reading. Right. So I learned a lot by reading these um, these magazines like um, uh, how are they call creative magazines or something or children books from the library right because back then we lived in and there are these really huge libraries and really well um uh, stuffed with books and games Mm -hmm. and all that and basically i learned with just the short texts or reading recipes in french and right just stuff that doesn't go longer than six lines
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes i think i was learning with my children basically who were six and five so i was sort of you know doing their reading with them when they came home from school Um, but I do remember sitting on the beach in the south of France it must have been the year after we moved here with a book thinking well I'll look up every word that I don't know well I would I'd still be there (laughs) you know so I sort of I did in the end I just read it and in fact I was talking to my husband about this yesterday even now If I'm reading a book where some of the names are really long of people, I just sort of flick over it because I can't work out what they are. And I think I did that in French. You know, a lot of the words, I just sort of, well, I don't know what that is, but never mind, it doesn't affect it too much, you know, and I would just carry on regardless. But, yeah, I think so. Um, What I hear, um, definitely auditory, but I'm also very visual. Um, So if I see something often enough, eventually my, my brain makes sense of what it is, I think. So... And after
1: your language battle, um, so you already said that the marriage with the husband that you came over mm-hmm. didn't last. No. But what was like, I don't know if there were several, but what was like the biggest or challenge for you in France uh, during
0: the last uh, year? Okay. At the beginning, I think the biggest challenge for us was schooling. Um, our children had already been to school in England and they're bright. And they had already learned to read and write and to do basic maths. So when we arrived in France and they had to sit in a classroom and draw circles and do exactly the same as every other child, they found that very taxing. And uh, my son just completely turned off school. And that con- unfortunately, that continued all the way through school. Um, he finally came out of school. I think he was 19 when he finished. And he's now back at school and he's 30. Because he's now decided that actually, yes, he does like studying and he's doing a master's, which is brilliant. But the French schooling system really didn't work particularly well for him. But I think it was basically because right at the beginning, he was made to feel as if he um, didn't fit in and uh, was obviously a bit daft because he didn't want to follow the, a particular way of learning. And my children were used to to learning um in very much a hands-on and a group situation and all of a sudden obviously that stopped so that it was very difficult for him uh my daughter's a high flyer and by, by the end of the first term she was top of her class so this was really chalk and cheese um and it stayed that way and she finished school early she finished at 17 and she went on to do her master's straight away so she finished her education much earlier than Nathan but it's It it wasn't so much, I mean, I think the French system is really good if you're a typical child. If you're an atypical child, there are issues that you have to try and address, I think. Um, As we got further along in the journey, it became easier because our language skills were better. So it was easier for us to communicate with the schools and explain what we felt our children needed. Having said that, they've both finished with a good level of education. They're good at every subject so although we worried incessantly about it I don't think they did particularly I think children just get on with it and I think they liked the fact that it was so different maybe for them they made lots of friends as soon as we got here the language wasn't an issue for them at all they just got on with it and you know although it took them a while children are very good at communicating even if they don't have a good language skill so so that was okay and um, so that was our main thing at the beginning obviously when our marriage started to break down that was very difficult in that we had to deal with a solicitor, and of course we didn't know any of the language that goes with getting a divorce, so that was complicated. Was this very t- early
1: after arriving in France? No, been-
0: I'm trying to think how old my daughter was. I think she was eleven, so it was about five years, four or five years, when things started to to break down. So yeah, we had to to try and find a way around that. It was a re- it was a relatively amicable divorce, but even so. You know, there, there was lots of paperwork that we had to do. We had to go and speak to people we'd never seen before, and it was a language that we didn't know. And of course, we had no support work, support network here at all. Uh, we didn't have any family here. On the other hand, it did mean we had to just get on with it on our own, and people couldn't interfere. You know, although it was it was difficult at the time. Looking back, at least there was nobody saying, I told you so, or, well, you should do this, or have you thought about that? We just had to get on with it and sort it out ourselves. And and we did, and everything's amicable, and we still see each other now. We're still good friends. But at the time, it it was a big challenge. It it really was. And I I think the worst bit of it, though, wasn't not having the language. It was not having the support network. Neither of us had close friends here that we could talk to about part of our lives. So it was a bit strange having to deal with that all on our own.
1: Yeah, this I understand because I've been through it too. Yeah, and although I had a lot of good friends, they they never in the same situation as you no, are.
0: No, so no, exactly. They can listen to you,
1: and that's already big help. But it's yeah. not; they they're not in your position. Exactly, they, they can't really do it for you. You still have to walk yourself the way. Yes, it. exactly. And
0: I suppose if you go through that sort of situation and you still live in your home country or you live relatively close to your parents. There is that thing that you can go home for a bit and get a bit of respite. And of course, if you're here, you can't do that. You can't just walk away. You know, there's a whole organisation thing that has to be sorted out. So it it can be a a bit taxing. But on the other hand, it does mean that you have to sit there and face the problems and sort them out. You can't just put your head in the sand and say, well, I'll go home for a couple of months. And when I come back, he'll have sorted it all out. You can't do that. So you do have to put your big girl pants on and sort it all out. <laughs> so yeah, it I is, always say,
1: you, you sit down, you, you can take your moment to mm. cry and to be mad at everything around. Yes, yeah. But then
0: there comes the point where it goes just forward. Yeah, exactly. And it does, you know, the other thing that we found difficult, which goes back to when we first moved here, in fact, was finding a house. That was very difficult because in the United Kingdom, if you want to go and buy a new house or if you want to look at property, you literally go to the local estate agent and you explain what sort of thing you're looking for. And there they sit with their books and they open them for you and show everything that they think you might be interested in. And they have lots of them posted on the walls so you can have a good look even in the window. You don't even have to go in. You can just look through the window see what's available, see what the price is and decide yourself whether you want to go and visit that or not. and when we were going to, when we knew we were going to move to france we had a week and so we booked appointments with the estate agents and basically we would go in to see them and they would sit with their book like this <laughs> and wouldn't show us anything they would literally say well we think you should look at this so they would give us two choices basically and it was very frustrating <laughs> And although we absolutely loved the house we bought, had we had the chance to look through those books, I don't expect we would have bought that house. You know, I, I expect we would have bought something else. It was a modern house, well, relatively modern house, in a huge garden. And although we loved it, looking back at it, you know, it, it became an absolute bugbear because we had to spend every weekend maintaining it. And it really was a big garden. People used to wander into it thinking it was a park, you know, <laughs> and we'd have to go out and say, no, no, go away, <laughs> But um, I mean, it it was great for the children to grow up in. It was a nice big house. They, you know, there was plenty of space and and everything. But we did find that really odd, um, especially as we'd moved house or, or flat several times in the UK. So we knew how to do it. And all of a sudden, we were sort of faced with this blank look as if to say, no, that's not how things work. So that was quite difficult. And we didn't know at that time that there are actually state agents that have anglophones working for them. And had we known that, I'm sure we would have gone down that route, but we didn't know. We were completely ignorant of that fact. So we just had to go with the flow. But it, it, yeah, lots it is of weird.
1: English speakers, yes.
0: And of course, we didn't really have the language either to, to be able to do much of that. I think these appointments must have been made by somebody that my husband at the time worked with because I don't remember us ever being involved in that so I think they they organized these appointments and probably gave them a budget of what they thought we would want to spend and that was what we were shown basically
1: so after the divorce why Mm -hmm. did you stay in France and why did you not return to the home country kind of said already you have to move on when you're in that situation
0: yeah um
1: I know personally I get asked the question of why I didn't go back to Germany? Right. So why did you not go back to England?
0: To be honest, it never even entered my head to go back to England. By then, I'd sort of built a life here. And at the time, my parents weren't living in the UK either. I couldn't really run home to mum and dad. That wasn't an option. But I just, there was no way. I just wouldn't have done it. I'm very independent. And I was quite embarrassed about the fact that I'd gone through a divorce. So it was perhaps easier to stay here than to go home in some ways but by then i changed my life completely and i just i can't imagine ever wanting to go back now which sounds a bit unfair really but my life is here and even at that point it was you know i i honestly never thought oh well i must go home and my children were here you know and i wouldn't w- when we split up we had this agreement that neither of us would ever move so far away that the other partner couldn't see the children on a regular basis because um, they were still young and we didn't want them to have to choose between us that's not fair and in France we have um, relatively fair divorce I think you are allowed to sort out between yourselves to a certain extent how it works as to where your children live and how much time they spend with the other partner unless it's not an amicable divorce so we both agreed we would never move out of the country and we wouldn't move to the other end of the country you know at least until they were adults and we stuck to that.
1: Yeah that's really good for children and I like to say we created a parent team Yes. yes we did it the same we're still um, spending time together with the kids from time to time yes and they spend time at, at that same for me it wasn't an idea to get away and it's anyway there comes this point when you live in France or in any other country um, you change so much yeah that going back to your own country you will always feel like you're foreign not there too yes but that's not so. even for me it would have
0: never been like going home I think as well when you're away you sort of forget that everybody else has moved on as well nobody's crying because you've left where you used to live everybody else has got a life and if you moved back after a certain length of time you wouldn't fit back into the life you had before you'd have to start all over again
1: yeah that's it you don't
0: find what you left no exactly (laughs) I know what you mean (laughs) it no you you wouldn't it would be completely different and although I have some friends that I have kept in contact with I know that Deep down, you know, if I went over to meet them, it, to see them, it would actually be quite weird now because so much has happened and changed. I mean, it's it's 27 years since I left the United Kingdom and it it would just be so weird if I just popped in to see somebody because it's like, how do you catch up on 27 years? Worth? It would be really weird, I think. And although I have friends, you know, via Facebook, as we all do social media, you know, we keep up with people that we went to school with and things like that. It's not the same as flesh friends, as I would call them, you know, real people that you see on, from time to time. People's lives do change and move on, you know, and I'm not the same person as I was all that time ago. No,
1: we all change. And yeah. I like to say that now when I go home and the attention that I can give to the people that I see when I go home and mm-hmm. that they, the time that they take to see me. Yeah. If I would live near them, there wouldn't yes. be that attention all the no. time. So no, It wouldn't be the same exactly you, you could have the possibility to see them more often but it would not be the same feeling like
0: no I don't them so. now
1: when you when you go home and yeah that. and yeah what we already said through really the difficult situations so there are friends that can listen to us but then you kind of have to rely on yourself to go through this yes. thing but was there something that particularly helped you to um, to be strong in these situations
0: i guess in some ways i I'm quite proud, I think. (laughs) And I wouldn't want anyone to think I was being a wimp and failing. And I certainly wanted to give a good example to my children in that you don't have to depend on somebody else. You can be your own person. You can survive on your own. I'd already sort of had to say goodbye to the career that I thought I was going to have. Because in England, I trained to be a teacher and I was on the brink of starting my career. When we came to France, I, I couldn't use that so I didn't work for several years and when after the divorce I decided well that's it I have I have to have a job now I need to work and I I found a job and from that I decided to create my own company there were two things in that one of them was to be completely independent so I didn't have to ask anybody for help and the second thing was so that my children could see you can do this on your own particularly for my daughter I think for, for boys it's perhaps not as important because Boys grow up thinking that they're going to be the uh, be all and end all. <laughs> they're going to be in charge of everything. You know, it's yeah. in their nature, maybe. Whereas girls don't don't grow up thinking that. I think they, they need role models more, maybe to see that they could actually be anything they want. Um, they don't have to be a wife. They don't have to be a mother. They don't have to be a stay at home mum if they don't want to. They can be a career woman. They can be a combination of all those things. But I think unless they see that, it's very easy for them to think, well, actually, that's not for me. So I was really determined they were not going to see this snivelling wreck. <laughs> However, I meant might have felt inside at certain points. I didn't want them to see that. I think I'm fairly self-reliant. Although I do talk to other people, I don't I don't talk to other people in a great deal of depth about feelings. I do with you, Anna, but that's fairly rare. <laughs> in general, I don't. Um, you know. And I extremely appreciate. But in general, I don't. I'm I'm quite a private person, I think. And I deal with things in my own way. But I make time for myself as well. I think that's a big difference. If you're, I think when you're going through anything that's traumatic, even if you've chosen that path yourself, because it was me that walked away from the marriage, I think you still need to take a lot of time for yourself to lick your wounds, to get over it. Self-care is really important. However you find that, I think you have to do things that please you. So I did a few things. I learned to tap dance which I had always wanted to do. (laughs) That was it. I said, right, that's it. I've got my own money now. I'll do what I like. So I went to tap dance lessons. Um, I got myself fit. Uh, I went to the gym. I went swimming a lot. I went walking. I got myself a dog. So I sort of did the things that before it would have been hard to fit them in, maybe. But also I wouldn't have done them maybe because they would have been too much, too time consuming, maybe when I was married whereas once I was free to do whatever I liked I sort of as well as working and then building up my business I said no I have to do things that are just for me and I hadn't really done that before not for a very long time and by the time I set up my business you know I'd been an adult for a long time and I had spent most of that being a parent really and I absolutely adore being a parent but sometimes you need to do things that are just for you I think.
1: Yeah, but I love that you tell about this because you just said you wanted to show your daughter by creating this business that she can do whatever she wants. Mm. But also showing our daughters, because I have a daughter too, that it's important and that you have the right to allow yourself to do things yes. just for yourself. Yes, and It is absolutely crucial because it's something that it's not taught to girls, mm-hmm. it, it's taught to um, boys more than to girls
0: yeah
1: yeah I think that's also one of the reasons why when we are mothers we do not take this time for ourselves
0: mm.
1: because it's at least from what I experienced you always feel guilty taking this time for yourself yeah so even like um, I also had this period in my life where kids went to school my husband back then he was at work so during mm-hmm. the day I kind of had this time for myself mm-hmm. yeah. but I always thought I have to fill it with hundreds of things that are yes. not for me yeah so doing yes housework, housework cooking handy. all those things <laughs> yes yeah going and uh, helping out in associations also doing everything for other people but not really taking real time for yourself
0: yeah
1: taking the guilt
0: off from this yes yeah
1: because i think we essential. all need
0: that we all need that, that bit of time where you can where it's just for you you know um sometimes i just go and sit in the garden with a book and i've got you know 25 things on my to-do list which i should be finishing by five o'clock but i just need half an hour on my own you know without any anything else and that's it i, I will do that now and um, it's taken me a long time to learn that and i think as women we are guilty of that we tend to think no i must be busy all the time i've got this that and the other to do and sometimes we just need to stop you know and slow down <laughs> chill out you know
1: <laughs> yeah and fill um, up our resources yes there was one thing that you told me about once that we met it was your when you created a business like mm. right before creating it you talked to your parents about it and then your dad said something to you and yes <laughs> it was so lovely I don't know if you want to share with yeah, those, went, yeah, that's fine. I just thought it's such a great thing that he told you
0: yeah it's quite funny really looking back at back about this because when I was still at school I was trying to decide what I wanted to do and every idea I came up with my dad had an objection and (laughs) one of the things I really wanted to do was to be a librarian because I loved books and I thought this meant I'd be able to sit in a corner and just read all day and my dad says to me you talk too much you can't be a librarian because these were the days where if you went into the library, you were not allowed to talk. So that was okay. that off. And then I decided I would like to join the Wrens. And this is because I was a musician and I thought it'd be really good just to be employed by the state and to be a musician. At this point, my dad said, yes, but you get seasick, which is true. So that was that out as well. I eventually settled on, well, I'll be a teacher then. So that was okay. And I did do that for a few years. But when I came up with the idea of my business, I'd been working for another company. They weren't the nicest of employees, but then employees aren't there to be nice, I suppose. But even so, I felt I was being put down and wasn't really appreciated for the skills that I had. So I got this idea in my head that I could probably do this on my own. But it was a huge step because it meant I would have no regular income. I couldn't guarantee it would work. At the time, I didn't have my own home, so I was having to pay rent. So there was lots of things that were sort of weighing on my shoulders as to whether I should do this or not. I thought, well, I'm going to have to sit down and speak to my parents because if, any- if anything goes really wrong, I'm going to have to ask them for help. So I gave my dad a call and my mum. And my dad said, if you don't try right now you will never know I thought yeah that's probably true so I just thought well I've got nothing to lose it's not as if I'm being sacked from a job so if all of this goes wrong I can put my hand up and say well I tried this but it didn't work it's not as if I was sacked plus I had my teaching degree to fall back on if it didn't work I could go back to being a teacher even though it had been a bit complicated because teaching English here is, is a lot more com- in a school is a lot more complicated than people would think. My, my dad's faith in me was enough to push me to do it, I think. And uh, I'm really glad that he did. And in fact, recently he told me, <laughs> which really made me laugh and I was rather surprised. He said he thought I had done the best out of the four of us, sibling wise, four siblings. And I think what he meant by that was that I had been the bravest maybe I might not be the most successful of us I don't know and we're all very different we've done different things my sister is a nurse and she runs a health team so she's very successful my younger brother is an accountant and he's brilliant at his job and my older brother works in forestry and he runs a division so we're all high flyers from that point of view I suppose but I think my dad meant I'm the bravest in that I'm not employed by somebody else I don't do anything really incredible that nobody else can do but I'm completely self-reliant at the end of the day the buck stops with me, so I have to get it right. The money comes because I work. It won't come if I don't. I don't get paid holidays. <laughs> so, so when he says he was the most proud of me, I don't think it was. I personally don't think I'm better than any of the others. It's not that, and I don't think he meant that. But I think he means I was brave enough to do it. But I wouldn't have been if he hadn't have said go for it. I don't think he he said what have you got to lose. And I think you, sometimes you just have to take life like that. None of us know what's around the corner. It's
1: important about what said, mm. sometimes it's even more important who says it.
0: Yes. If my brother or my sister had said it, I think I would have still been, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. But because my parents had faith that I could do it, I, I guess it just gave me the, the nudge that I needed. Yeah,
1: If it comes together, the right thing from the right post, it can just re- recreate magic for... Yes, I think so. You know, I mean,
0: I will always be grateful that they told me to do that, really. You know, that they supported me and said, just go for it. Um, and at the time, I mean, I, I was only in my late 30s. And I'd still got my whole career ahead of me, really. I'd still got at least another 25 years to go. So it, it made sense. It would have been, I, I guess it would have been quite easy to say, well, perhaps I'll just find something that's relatively easy. to Do a really, not mundane, but, you know, a day-to-day job like everybody else. But I don't think it would have been as exciting or as fulfilling to be honest, is running your own company. Is
1: this part of the, um, that you would say today, one of the biggest blessings that your move or your staying in France has brought you is really this, yeah, the strength to do your own thing, to create this company, just to go ahead with the plans that you have? Yes, absolutely.
0: I would never have done this if I was still in the UK. I'd probably be head of a department in in a school because that's what I trained to, to do. And that was my goal, to be the head of the English department. And I dare say I would be loving it. But on the other hand, I might have suffered from burnout, <laughs> you know, and quit after 10 years, the way lots of teachers do. My life would have been completely different if I'd stayed in that. And I would not have had the freedom that I have. You know, there is a certain freedom, for lying in bed in the morning and saying, Or looking at my phone and saying, oh, well, somebody's just paid for a cruise, so I don't need to get up just yet, for example. (laughs) You know, I can say, I've done my day. That's all right. I'm I'm not going to go until midday today. I'm actually very hardworking and I'm usually at my office by nine o'clock in the morning, and it's very rare that I finish before eight o'clock at night. But I can take time out during the day if I want. Last Friday, I just said to my husband, I'm tired. It would be nice to go out and meet some friends. So that's what we did. We just you know, closed up at midday. We worked from eight in the morning till midday, flat out. And then that's it. I said, that's it. We closed the office and off we went. And you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have that freedom if I was in the UK. You know, I'd be stuck at the school <laughs> and then I'd be lugging all my marking home and, And I think whatever work I was doing in the UK, I cannot imagine that I would be running my own business because the opportunity wouldn't have been there. The need wouldn't have been there. And I think having said that, I think my teaching background really helped me because I was used to being very organized and dealing with lots of different problems. Because when you're working with 30, 34 children in a classroom, there's 16 potential problems at any one moment. So I was quite used to having to split myself in lots of different ways and find solutions and be relatively independent in that sense. I guess that background really helped when I set up my own business because I knew I could do it. It would take a lot of hard work, but I could deal with problems. I could find solutions. I can put on a happy smile every day (laughs) for my clients, even the days where I don't want to. But yes, it is probably my job is the biggest blessing overall. Having said that, from my job, it means I have time that I can spend with my family and friends that I might not have if I didn't have the sort of job I've got my family decide to come and visit if my daughter and or my son decide they want to come over during the week for any reason they can I'm, I'm here because I work from home and I can decide to you know take a long weekend to spend with them because it's me that controls the time I do I, I wouldn't have that in any other job yeah but I think
1: it's a great example like going from being in a difficult situation and just making the best out of it and actually it's becoming a blessing for oh absolutely and you the source I mean. of all the other good things that you can make out of it and that's just yeah. uh, a really yeah it's a really great example of yeah what we are able to do when we're in in the position of uh, choosing
0: yes opening doors for yeah. ourselves. and also through my job i met my second husband and i wouldn't have met him if not so. yeah and you met him what like 10 years ago, I think. Well, you met uh, earlier, but you're married. Yeah. Uh, we've been, for ten years we've been married eight years. We've been married together 10 We've been together 10 years, but we've actually known each other a lot longer because he started doing work on my website for me, I think about 16 years ago I'm not really sure I've sort of lost track of time but I think it's fifty 15 years ago it. and for the first couple of years we had never even seen each other you know I would send him some money and he would do some work <laughs> that was how it worked really um, and that was through a mutual friend that I discovered his his uh, ability in doing websites and things so I would never have met him if if it hadn't have been for you know this series of events which is quite strange to think about it really you know how, how many things wouldn't have been if I hadn't made that decision or had you know if we hadn't moved to France I mean I you know my life would have been completely different I'm not saying it would have been worse I, I don't know none of us know do we <laughs> no we don't but know you, it. you know it, you know from one decision from my husband coming home that day saying I've been offered a job in France everything has changed nothing is is how it was but and isn't it
1: so, like looking back at these things because for me it was similar, he just said, Well, how how about moving to
0: France? <laughs> yes. like,
1: how about what do you feel about moving to France? And you know, there's with, with these kind of questions, there's always so many fears mm-hmm. that go with it. And then at the same mm-hmm. time you turn around and you see that yeah. doors that had been around you, some of them are starting to opening at that moment, yes. and so on and so on. And it's just like it's just when you're in the middle, <laughs> you're just keeping the trust in yourself. That's yes. the best way. Yeah. To, to to go on and 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 look forward and say, OK, there, there will be something else and that will be good.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think you have to believe that you have to. The worst thing you can do is. In any situation, I think, if you know, if things aren't going well, is to put your head in the sand, you know, things aren't going to get better if you just sit there. You know, you, you have to be proactive. You have to get out there. You have to sell yourself. Whether that's you as a human being, you as a friend, you as a businesswoman, you know, people are going to come and knock on your door. You have to make yourself get out there and do it, you know? Definitely.
1: But what would you say to someone, to a woman who just at this moment uh, is struggling here in France Mm -hmm. between decisions or with her situation where she's in and she would like to change? She doesn't really know where to go, what could be the next thing to do? What would Mm -hmm. you? how to say okay how to keep going how to keep looking forward
0: i think you in that sort of situation it's really important to set yourself small goals that are achievable it's no good saying for example right well by this time next year i will have a job or by this time next year i will have set up my company by this time next year i will have met somebody new maybe okay None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, never mind next year. And they're too far away to, 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 to realise them. I start my day every day with my book. Yeah. And in fact, I finish my day every day with my book as well. This is my to-do book. And I do it every single day. I write down what I need to achieve that day. Okay, I don't write down what I need to achieve by the end of the week. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can only really control what's going to happen over the next few hours. So I set myself small goals. Okay. now, if I've got something that I need to do, um, for example, um, a social media campaign, that's one of our things we're working on at the moment. We have a we've got a plan. We've got a calendar. Uh, In theory, I know every advert that's going to go out for the next year, but I write them one at a time. This evening, I will write the one that's going to go out on Wednesday tomorrow on Thursday I will write the one that's going to go out on Friday I know which boat it's for or which destination or which promotion but I don't know the actual wording I haven't yet chosen the photographs if I tried to do this all in one go I wouldn't be able to do it I'd be absolutely panic-stricken it's far too much you know there's 52 weeks a year we've got four adverts going out on three different platforms I cannot do this it's too much so I do a little bit at a time and I think life is like that you can't because we don't we can't control what other people are doing and external events i think it's really important that you give yourself small goals so if you're sat there thinking i don't know um for example you know when you're on your own one of the weirdest things is i don't know what to do about food today for example i don't know what to eat can i really be bothered yes you can it's self-help it's self-love you need to do those things so you know even if you can't decide to go out and do a big shot, just have something, you know, eat properly today sort of thing. So that tomorrow you'll feel a bit better and it will become a habit. And I think it's the same with business. It's the same with relationships. Nothing works on its own. You have to put the effort in, but you don't have to move mountains on your first day. You can take little steps. You know, if you can't clean the whole house, just clean one tiny bit of it. I've got a big house. I cannot clean it. one It's too exhausting. And it's the same with the garden. When I first moved here, I could do all the gardening in one weekend and be really proud of myself. And now it's, well, okay, it'll take me about six months to get from one end to the other because I've got slower with age and it's more developed. So there's more things to do and other things get in the way. You know, I think we're not very kind to ourselves a lot of the time. We we think, you know, even in times of crisis, that we should be this incredible woman who can do everything. And it's not true, you know.
1: Yeah, setting two big goals that then yeah. we don't reach them and then we are yeah. um frustrated with ourselves. We feel yes. guilty. Yeah.
0: And, and it's, it's easy to feel it. you yeah it's easy to feel that you can't do something and that you're a failure because you haven't done it in the time you thought you ought to be able to do it in, or yeah. you know, which is why it's so important to break tasks or even dreams into bits that are realizable within a certain amount of time. So you do feel you're making progress, you yeah. know. Um, for anyone who's ever had to go to physiotherapy (laughs) you know you'll know you can't walk into the physiotherapist not being able to stand up straight and come out straight that's not going to happen you know it's going to take a lot of sessions to to mend your body and it's the same with your mind or your heart it takes a lot of effort you know and it's little steps
1: yeah so setting a goal but then focusing on the small actions that we can do
0: exactly yeah, and- yeah. I mean, I have in my mind um an idea of where I want my company to be by the time I retire. So I've got this number in my head. That is how much I want the the annual income to, be. not annual income, the uh, gross. Yeah, the turnover. I've I've got this figure in my head. This is what my ultimate aim to get to this turnover. And you know, when I think about it, I just think, well, that's ridiculous. I'm never going to get there. But If I just increase a little bit each year, I could potentially get there. So I just concentrate on the little bits. And sometimes, you know, I'll I'll get an inquiry for a reservation that I think, gosh, this is going to make me peanuts. But it all adds up, you know, so I'll do it anyway, even though it's late at night or first thing in the morning. and I don't really feel like doing it. I will do it anyway. Apart from anything, there's the client satisfaction. But, you know, it's that thing, isn't it? From little acorns, great oaks can grow. And you have to look at life like that. You know, we don't wake up being brilliant at anything. Well, I don't, but <laughs> I guess it's the same for everybody else. It takes me a bit while to get going in the morning. And I think life in general is like that. It goes
1: back to the what we said earlier, giving yourself time also just yes. for yourself to resource because
0: you need to, if you need to rest, you rest. If you're unwell, you stop. You know, we're not Trojans. So,
1: yeah. And we don't give ourselves time today anymore to slowly grow. Everything no. needs to be fast. You need mm. to be good in something fast. You need to have understood it right mm. away when you heard mm. it once think If you do a social media campaign for your business today, that you you have it worked out right away, but mm. it's, yes. it's more complicated. <laughs> it always looks simple, yes. but it is actually more complicated. And you ask yourself, yes. why is it not working? Yes, it, it looks so simple, but very few people sorry to tell you that actually it it is not as simple as it looks.
0: No, Just be no.
1: patient with yourself. Yes. Have respect for yourself for the efforts you're
0: already putting in place. Exactly. And life is, is the same. R- running your life is very much like running a business. You have to give it time, you have to watch it grow, you have to plan, you have to forgive yourself when things go wrong. You know, none of us are infallible. I've made some dreadful mistakes along the <laughs> along the years. Whether that's been to do with a bad choice of partner or whether a bad decision business wise, you know, occasionally I said, well, I'm not going to deal with that person anymore. And then afterwards, I think, well, that's really silly. You know, I'm just cutting my nose off to spite my face, basically, (laughs) because of something that happened or, you know, a word that was said. And you have to get past that, I think. I have quite a hard shell, I think, you know, and it's difficult to get a hard shell. We're not born with one of those. Quite soft and squidgy when we're born. (laughs) You have to sort of get tougher as you get older, I think, maybe. And with experience
1: yeah tougher but without losing the connection to yourself
0: exactly yes yeah none of so um,
1: we have to be careful with the word tough because often today people are tough but it's because they're disconnected from your from their yeah. emotion so that's yeah. just not at all what we're looking for
0: no no exactly
1: doesn't help Uh, you no and always be forgiving for the errors that you made in your life goes back to the Lord but really be forgiving because at the moment that you make the decision at this moment that it was the best decision that you could take yes
0: exactly I sometimes think well if I hadn't have done that then I wouldn't have all of this that I'm enjoying now I mean I still have guilt about leaving my first marriage and really it's ridiculous he's happy He's happily married with somebody else. I'm happily married with somebody else. Our children have survived; survived. they're normal, you know. But I still have that that guilt, and I I think I don't even know why, really. But you know, I understand. It's it's, it's
1: not your guilt, and I believe because I I know the same feeling. But I believe it is not your your guilt or Mm. our guilt. I think it's guilt that comes either from um, it's either transgenerational. Mm. Yeah. So it comes from um, further back in our family, yeah. Um, and the other part is society, mm. and that's just uh, so it, it is not your guilt.
0: No, it's it's, it's, it's something just yeah that's
1: imposed in us. Um,
0: yes, yes, you shouldn't have done this. Even though, who is to say what we should do? <laughs> really, but <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah, I think you're right, actually. Um, yeah. You know and. And I do not I mean, we all get together at Christmas, you know, my ex-husband and and all our children and my current husband, and we have a whale of a time and everything's fine. And I don't think any of us would say, oh my God, well, you really shouldn't have done that. You know, it was awful thing to do. I don't think ever crosses anybody's mind, (laughs) but it's just, you know, it's like a little grain, isn't it? That's inside and it takes a while to to get rid of that, I suppose. And and, I mean, now I wouldn't, although, you know, obviously we come to crossroads in our life where you have to decide, are you going to do this or are you going to do that? If I had to lose what I've got now, I wouldn't change anything. I I don't want to lose what I've got now. I'm happier now than I've ever been, despite running a business. (laughs) (laughs) That may be because of, you know, because I like being in control, I think. I I think anybody who's struggling, it's really important that you realise the strengths that you do have. It's really easy to concentrate on the things that you think you're not good at. Um, I'm not good at mixing with people. Um, I'm not good at picking up the phone. I don't feel comfortable in a crowd. There's lots of things that lots of people don't like doing or they feel uncomfortable. But it's important to, instead of saying that, to say, I'm really good at speaking uh, face to face for example, rather than having to call people on the phone. I find I find maintaining friendships over the phone quite difficult because you can't see the person. So you can't see their reaction to what you're saying. They can't see your reaction. I find things face-to-face much easier. That's the sort of person I am. So instead of, instead of dwelling on the fact that I hate having to pick up the phone to call somebody in French because it's not my mother tongue and they might say something I don't understand, which is a bit daft because I probably will understand, but it's still in the back of my mind. So instead of dwelling on that, I try and find ways around it and think, well, actually, yeah, all right, that's that's all very well, but I can do this. And I think if you find yourself struggling, or whether you're on your own or not, I think it's really important to focus on the things you can do, not the things you can't do. Even if you feel that there's only one thing you can do, if that one thing is today you can get up and brush your teeth, then that's fine. You You know, you have achieved something. We seem to live in a world where we punish ourselves for not being... 100% all the time yep. we're not nobody is social media has a lot to blame for I feel yep. you know there's, there's a lot of responsibility that I could blame on social media for all sorts of things and although I'm using it as a marketing platform I'm certainly not saying well if you don't have this holiday you're going to be useless you know <laughs> A lot of social media does seem to be rather like that, you know, if you don't have beautiful hair or no spots or this, that and the other, then you're failing in some way in life. But yeah, for anyone, I would say just try and concentrate on the things that you are good at. There's lots of things I can't do. Lots of things I I think, oh God, no, I'm useless at that. You know, for every one thing I can't do, there's 10 that I can do. And that's not because I'm brilliant. It's because that's the way we are. And if you actually sat down and wrote down the things you can't do, it would actually be quite a small list. In comparison to what you can do, don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah I'm just suis d'accord
0: <laughs> yeah, well uh, yes. No, I, I think most of us are like that. Concentrate on things we can't do.
1: Yeah, it's apparently it's this brain failure
0: kind of yeah, Yes. Yeah. I mean I have this thing of saying I don't like change. And actually change is a wonderful thing. You know, if, if the world hadn't changed over the last 30 years, well, for one, I wouldn't be running my own business because the internet wouldn't exist in the way it does. Um, But, you know, all sorts of things would not be the way they are. And when I say I don't like change, what I mean is I personally find it difficult to learn something new. And it's not the same, is it? You know, I have a fear of not being able to do something. So if I have to change from using a microsoft program and all of a sudden i've got to use excel to do something there is instant panic in my brain (laughs) i can't do that well of course i can it's going to take me longer and i've got to learn something new but i am capable of learning it I, th- I think we have to be careful when we say things like, well, I don't like change, because I-, I said this to someone recently and they said, well, your life is always changing. You've always got all these projects and things. And she's right. I'm always doing things. It's not the change that's the problem. It's my attitude to change. It holds me back, I suppose, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, I think it can help people that if they have just thought about something that they cannot do. Mm. Or that they're missing in France or something mm-hmm. that, that they're with. Let's say it like this for more general um, point of view. To really search the why behind it. Yes. Just ask yourself at least three times why. Mm. So in your case, it's like, okay, why do you don't like change? Well, because then I have to learn something new. So why is it a problem to learn something new? Mm. Because it takes me time. Why do you think you wouldn't have the time to do it?
0: Yes. You <laughs> really go- exactly.
1: Yes. Go go on, go on. Oh, oh, at least three times. Why? Yes, that's good.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things um, people struggle with here, uh, who move to France, is loneliness. And I think it's important to remember that if you're lonely, it's not necessarily because you're here. Loneliness can happen wherever you are. You, you know, you can be surrounded by fifty people and still feel lonely. It's not to do with being on your own. Loneliness is to do with feeling disconnected from other people. And for a while, I felt as if I didn't really have a social life here. And it's quite difficult because of my work, because it does take an awful lot of time. And I work from home, so I never get to meet new people because of my work, or very, very rarely. So, you know, that sort of limits things to some extent. But having said that there are so many different clubs and associations in France that if if there's something you like to do there will be somebody near you that likes to do the same thing and it's not actually that difficult in fact it's a good way of learning the language and customs is to actually join a club even if you don't know the language to start with it doesn't matter if you go to a, a club or an association that's concerned with i don't know keeping an area clean and tidy for example outside in the countryside you know where you don't want to litter or whatever you know you're going to be outside you're going to be getting fresh air you'll get to chat and laugh with other people and they're people who are interested in the same things as you are so even if there's the language barrier you know you can sort of get past that because you're doing something common together and i think it, it can sort of even if you can't communicate very well with people it stops you feeling very lonely if you can find something that you can do with other people even if the language barrier is still there you're not then on your own all the time you know? yeah
1: there's this and then there's also the thing that the response to not feel lonely. It's different for everyone. Yeah, so not everyone has the same needs to mm-hmm. um, yeah to to help with the loneliness. Mm. What often we don't know in the beginning when we arrive here that even all the festivals in the villages and even in the yeah. towns yeah. they are organized by associations. Mm-hmm. And actually, personally, I think it's a much better choice to join one of these associations. Yes, than to join a sports club or something because right go there they do their sport and yeah. then they go back home and as long yeah. as you're not involved in organizing something right like stage or summer festivals for that sports mm-hmm. club you will have a hard time getting in contact with the people yeah but if you're in an organizational or how can i say in an association that organizes an event you mm-hmm. will be always in exchange you will be in a team who yes. plan something and there you will speak you will have people that are that have time to listen to you until you yes. finish your sentence <laughs> <It is laughs> yeah. absolutely crucial and correct and, you <laughs> yeah and there are so many different um events around That mm. um, that's really a perfect place to meet people and like you said there are actually associations that just take care of creating a nature reserve or mm. i don't know we live next to a regional park here so there's mm. lots of nature associations yeah, and all the festivals around, they are all organised by associations. Even if the yes. town is part of it, you just go to the uh, mairie and then you can get information about different associations that are involved
0: in right. organising it. Yeah, in fact, our we have a new mayor in our village. I think she's been the mayor for two... I think this is her second year now. And she's really changing things. And one of them is that she's set, she set up an association um, which will organize um different events throughout the year and I keep thinking I really ought to go and join <laughs> ought to <laughs> the opt word I will do get I will get around to doing it um it's just we've got a lot on our plate at the moment but once if once the plate is clear then I will go and do this and I think it is a good idea because it means people will actually start calling on me to ask me to do things which will be nice rather than me Feeling well, I, I don't know if I should volunteer, or and it's a way of meeting other people in the village. Although it's a tiny village, I don't know everybody that lives here. You know, and they they don't know who I am necessarily. They might say hello if, if we're out walking or whatever, but um, we don't really get to know. It, it's quite different when an um, an English or maybe a German, I don't know, but when you go to live in a small village where everybody's French except you, our, our village is very welcoming. But a lot of the families are related to each other. So their social life revolves around each other, really. So I I think joining the association to help with organizing the fates and things will probably be a good thing. Get in there, you know. Yeah, but (laughs) Get involved. I don't
1: think it makes a big difference if you move there from Paris or if you move there from England or Germany.
0: No, maybe not. It's just that you're the outsider to start with. Yeah, you're the
1: outsider. And that's a very French thing. Uh, French circle is like when they move. Mm -hmm. So like where I live, there's a lot of French move from bigger cities. okay area so they're needing yeah as they arrive yeah yeah, they are open to new friendships right to create
0: friend local friendships yeah funnily enough though it's you know it's one of the things i like most about the french the fact that they are so family orientated i think it's really nice okay you know they look after their own I, i i do think that's really nice i mean in our village there's um three generational families okay and they still all all get together on a sunday have their meal together and i see them going up and down checking on each other you know it's very sweet and i don't know if that still exists in england but in england people tend to disperse much more from their families you know they live much further away so they're not you know on the doorstep whereas here there's literal. i think there's four or five different families in the village who've got two or three generations and it's incredible and it's it's just very very sweet but it as you say, you know, that comes before everything else. So it does make it quite hard for the outsider. But you have to keep an open mind, I think, and you know, try and get involved.
1: Yeah, I think with the family thing, you have both extremes, like where mm. they just stay in the area and everybody walks and lives around. Yeah. And then the French, what I was surprised to learn when I arrived in France, they just move wherever they find work. Right. Yes. So they may they move, did they buy a house, they sell their house, they mm. move somewhere play yes. out that yes somewhere. yes i remember yeah. us
0: being surprised that um, when we were looking for a house we were told well this isn't a very good time of year to buy because of the mutation
1: yeah
0: <laughs> what <laughs> whatever yes. <laughs> and this is when people get moved from one area to another because of their work and uh, yeah. this only happens in august and september every year which is really odd <laughs> you know it's like the school year and to somebody coming from from outside of france that's a really odd concept you know that, that people are queuing up to move in august and september and that's it they start their new job in september you know. yeah you
1: know the the book um a year in demand and it mm-hmm. starts yes. with i think i i don't i read it 10 years ago or something but i think it starts with the year starts the first monday of september
0: yes I think that's the phrase in the book
1: and I didn't get it back then because I hadn't I read it before moving to France and I no, I, it, I didn't get it at all. I, but yes. then a couple of years later, yes. I
0: remember that phrase. Yes. And um, my my hairdresser, I have the same hairdresser all the time and he always says to me, Well, if you need to come in September, make sure you book early because c'est la rentrer. <laughs> And I was think, well, we have our haircut all the time. But he says, no, no, all the all the ladies come and have their haircuts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a very strange concept to anybody else. Yeah, but quite absolutely. sweet, and you do get used to it, don't you? After a while, everything. But you're right; that's the first the first Monday of the year is actually <laughs> the first Monday in September. It's funny. Yeah. I haven't thought about that for a while because my children aren't at school anymore. But yes, everything revolves around there. It's quite funny. Yeah.
1: they we're actually already at the end of the
0: podcast. Okay. <laughs>
1: then I don't know if you want to share something else with us today
0: well okay I would say if you're wondering whether to come and live in France give it a try because you never know and if you don't try you will never know follow my dad's advice you know you only live once think about what's what's the worst thing that can go wrong the worst thing that can go wrong is that you make a bit of a fool of yourself and you have to take a step back and find a different way but you will you know you're not going to find yourself in a puddle so just go for it that's my advice. It's a great advice. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. You're very welcome, Anna. Have a good
1: day. You too. Thank you so much for You're this. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining in in today's episode. If you like, you can join my newsletter for the podcast so you don't miss the next episode coming up and you will get some insights about the guests that we will have on our show. But for today, I wish you the best and take care.